good to be back home. Uh, it's always a pleasure, as you know, my dad said, um, you know, going to bed last night, uh, I didn't know that I would be standing in this pulpit uh, on Monday night. I, too, was anticipating uh, Dr. James Merritt, one of my favorite uh, communicators of God's Word. But it is a great privilege uh, anytime I get to come back home, anytime I get to come back uh, to Kempsville. But I told Amber earlier today, you know, it was about three or four years ago, we were in New York City uh, right around Christmas time, right after Christmas time, and I was a big fan of the San Antonio Spurs, of watching them play basketball. And so we got tickets. I'd never been to Madison Square Garden, and so we got tickets to go to a Knicks game. And when we went to the game, we walked in and realized that uh, he was benching his entire starting five to rest them. And so I remember the feeling I had in my gut sitting there watching the reserves. And so I can identify with what you're feeling tonight sitting here. <laughs> At Kimsel Baptist, I recognize I'm the backup, I'm the pinch hitter, but Dad, I appreciate the opportunity to come and speak. Like I said, man, it's always a great privilege. I get to come back and see so many of you um, who have had such an influence in my own life and my wife's life, and we love this place with all of our heart. Uh, we are who we are today in many ways because of the shaping uh, that God used in our lives through this church and through so many of you, and so. I know that you guys pray for us, you pray for our church, um, and that means more than, than you can ever know. And so it's always a great privilege for me to be able to come back. I do feel like I need to make some confessions up front. I, I talk about you guys a lot. I talk about my family a lot uh, on Sunday mornings. And kind of the running joke at, at River Oak is uh, we want to give out our church magnets. We always encourage people that, hey, be proud of the place that God has called you to, to be a part of as a church. Uh, but we have one rule. You have to be a good driver. If you're not a bad, if you're not a good driver or you're an aggressive driver, uh, we have a whole stack of Kempsville Baptist Church magnets that we, so I say that a lot. And so let me, let me say up front, uh, uh, Dad, I'll say tonight that if you've got any bad drivers here, any aggressive drivers, I've got some River Oak magnets that you can give them. Um, I think I know of one specifically that it should go to first of all, and that's the pastor's wife that's sitting over there. Matter of fact, I'll tell you what, for the sake of Kimsell and River Oak, we'll just give you a First Baptist Church Norfolk Madness. How about that? I'm sure Pastor Eric won't mind that, and if he does, we'll say it was my dad's idea, all right? So, no, nah, but it is, it's a, it's a great privilege to come back and to speak to you. You know, when I think about driving and spiritual warfare in the car, is there anyone else here who deals with spiritual warfare in the car? Say amen, amen. There's something about driving in the car that gets you close to Jesus, bottom line. And, um, you know, talking about all these magnets, it reminds me of a story. Which, by the way, that is also my lead-in at River Oak to a very corny joke. Because as a kid growing up at Kempsville, anytime my father, and I think he still does this, is getting ready to tell a really bad joke, he'll say, it reminds me of a story. And I remember sitting out there with my mom when we'd start elbowing one another going, here comes a corny joke. So I'm preparing you ahead of time. It reminds me of a story. Uh, there was a lady who loved the Lord Jesus, but she struggled in her car. So, you know, she had a tendency to get upset, had a tendency to lose her temper uh, when other people would do things wrong on the road. And, and so there was one particular day there was a guy who cut her off on the interstate. And so she immediately, I know you guys have never done this, I know I have never done this, she immediately began to tailgate the car, 
And when they came to a stoplight, man, she just let the guy have it. She was yelling at him, screaming at him, throwing gang signs, if you know what I mean, with her hands to the car in front of her. About that time, a police officer pulled up. He gets out of his car, he cuts the lights on, he gets out of his car, he goes to her car, he takes her out of the car, puts her in handcuffs, and puts her in the back of his patrol car. Well, she's sitting there going, okay, I don't understand, I haven't broken any laws. And so about five minutes goes by, he comes to the car, he says, ma'am, I'm sorry, there's been an awful mistake. She says, yes, there has been. He said, well, when I pulled behind you, I noticed that on the back of your car, you had your Jesus sticker, and you also had a bumper sticker of your church. And he said, and then I saw the way you were giving the guy a fit in front of you. I just assumed the car was stolen. So (laughs) if we got Jesus on the back of our cars, let's make sure we're being a good testimony for the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you would, with me tonight and turn with me to the book of Romans. Yeah, I tell you, this is really cool for me. It was 15 years ago. It's hard to believe that. It was 15 years ago that I preached my very first sermon here at Kempstow Baptist Church. It was a Sunday night. I had just recently surrendered to the call of ministry. I was getting ready to begin my first uh, semester at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And my dad gave me the opportunity to preach on a Sunday night. And he said, Heath, you have 30 minutes. And so I prepared a 30-minute sermon. Uh, And then by the time I finished preaching, it was 12 minutes long, my sermon was. And I remember walking down the stage, and Deb was sitting on the front row, and he, was, he, he mouthed to me, are you finished? And I said, Deb, that's it. Jesus is in control now after this. And so I tell you now, 15 years later, we're going to be here a little bit longer than 12 minutes, all right? I'm just kidding. Roman, no, I'm not. Romans chapter 5. The first message I ever preached on is something that I remember very clearly, because it was something that the Lord was doing in my heart and life in such a tremendous way at that time. And it was on the subject of joy. I preached the passage of John 15 where Jesus is speaking of the relationship between the vine and the branches. And how Christ says, you know, apart from me, you can do, tell, say it with me, you can do nothing. And I remember sharing my testimony that night. Many of you know my testimony. I mean, obviously raised in the church, blessed with godly parents. Blessed with a mom and dad who taught us the word of God. But who not only taught us the word of God, who modeled what it meant to walk with Christ. I share all the time at River Oak that my dad preached a lot of great sermons over the years, but I believe the greatest sermon that my father and mom preached were on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday because he was the same guy on a Monday than he was on a Sunday morning standing in front of this congregation. And I know the impact that that had upon me. I was seven years old when I came to know the Lord. I was attending a youth lock-in with my brother. My dad was pastoring at Pope Drive Baptist Church in Anderson, South Carolina. And they showed the movie Left Behind, the, the 70s version of the movie Left Behind. And I remember leaving there, and we were driving home. My dad was in the front seat. I was in the back. And the Holy Spirit just began to grip my heart. And I recognized, even as a seven-year-old little boy, raised in the church, know all the Bible stories, I recognized at that moment that if Christ were to come... I was going to be left behind. That at that particular time, I did not have a relationship with Jesus. And so my father heard me crying in the back seat. I still remember he pulled the car over on the side of the road and climbed into the back seat and said, Heath, what's going on? And I said, Dad, I'm lost. I need to be saved. And there in the back seat of that car, my father led me to the Lord. And he baptized me. 
And that began a journey. Obviously, there's a journey for all of us when you come to know Christ. And there are different seasons you know, in our relationship with the Lord. There are times when you know, you're on fire and you're growing. And there are other times where there are struggles and um, you know, difficulties that come up. I can remember as I got a little bit older, uh, without even recognizing it, I'd allowed some other things to enter into my heart, enter into my life. And to be honest with you, to take the place of where only Christ should be. And as a result of that, as a result of Christ not being my first priority, not being my greatest pursuit and my greatest passion, I lost my joy. I lost my joy. And I can remember as a, as a young man how the Lord used that in my life to not only bring me back to him, but ultimately to call me into ministry. And so the subject of joy is something that's very dear to me. Because I think about what the Bible teaches in our relationship with Christ, that aren't you thankful that joy in the Lord is not dependent upon our circumstances? If you believe that, say amen. Amen. It's not dependent upon our struggles or whatever it is that we're going through. The joy of the Lord sustains us, no matter what season of life we're in. You know, I think about if I were to ask you the question, what's the shortest verse of Scripture found in the Bible? Well, that's the one we immediately go to, right? John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. But actually, the shortest verse in the original language, that's the shortest verse in the English language, but the shortest verse in the original language, in the Greek language, is only one word. It's two English words, but it's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 that says, Rejoice always. Now, is that really possible? Can we truly, as followers of Christ, as the Bible commands us, rejoice always? When tragedy strikes, can we still be rejoicing? When all of a sudden our world is turned upside down, can we still rejoice? When without any warning at all, we get a report from a doctor that's devastating in that moment, can we still rejoice in the Lord? The Bible says we can, because it all comes back to what our joy is based upon. And we recognize that our joy is based upon a person. You know, I think about the world that we live in today. You understand the world that we live in, man, there are people all over this world seeking fulfillment, seeking happiness. But we recognize that there's a major difference between joy and happiness. You know, happiness is exactly how it sounds has everything to do with your happenings. As long as your happenings are going well, well, then you're happy. But we understand that joy, biblical joy, joy found in the Lord is different. Happiness is dependent upon outside circumstances. Our joy is dependent upon what's within. Happiness meets surface needs, but joy meets your deepest needs. I'll never forget Dr. Adrian Rogers saying this many, many years ago. He said this. He said, happiness is like a thermometer. It registers our condition. It says how things are going in our lives. But joy, joy from the Lord, true joy, everlasting joy is like a thermostat. It regulates our condition. Tonight, I want to share with you one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's Romans chapter 5, and we're really just going to focus on the first five verses tonight. But we're going to read all 11 verses there up front, because the Apostle Paul has a lot to say about where this joy comes from and how this joy is sustained no matter what your circumstances may be. It's safe to say in a room this size with this many people, many of you walked into the doors of this church tonight with burdens upon your shoulder, with the heaviness of life, 
Maybe you're going through things that no one else even realizes. Maybe even those closest to you do not even recognize the struggle, the pain, the discouragement that you wrestle with. And so my prayer tonight is that through this passage of Scripture, as we take our eyes and lift them up into the heavens and focus upon the finished work of Christ, I pray that you will be encouraged. These are the big rocks of Scripture, the things that do not change Because we serve a God who is the same today as he was yesterday, as he will be tomorrow. Amen? But let's be honest, life can be hard. With life there come struggles, sorrow, heartache, pain. But yet the Bible promises us that in Christ, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our heartache, and in the midst of our pain, we can still have joy. You come to Romans chapter 5, and you know a little bit of the story here. The Apostle Paul has been building upon this truth of salvation, that it's Christ alone. It's not Christ plus, it's Christ alone that allows us to be justified before a holy and righteous God. You go to chapters 3 and 4, and he builds upon this truth that salvation comes only on the basis of God's grace working through man's faith. And he says that our joy is directly linked to knowing that we are his and knowing that we are secure in our salvation. And so Paul explains that our hope, obviously, is not in ourselves. Our hope is in the God that we serve, a God who is faithful even when we are not. Can I get an amen? That there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.13, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The prophet Isaiah, describing God's faithfulness 700 years before Christ's coming, he says this in Isaiah 11.5, he speaks of God's faithfulness as the belt that sustains him around his waist. David describes in Psalm 36.5, the Lord's faithfulness reaches to the skies. Jeremiah praises him as he declares in Lamentations 3.23, great is thy faithfulness. The promises of God's faithfulness in our lives leads us to sustaining joy. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and stand with me in reverence to reading God's word. Romans chapter 5, the title of the message tonight is the joy of the Lord. Again, we're going to read the first 11 verses, but we're really going to focus on the first five. A passage of scripture I'm sure that's very familiar to you. It's one of my favorite passages of scriptures. The Apostle Paul in many ways gives us the elements of salvation. He talks about the things that have been accomplished through the finished work of Christ. And he says this beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Can I get an amen? Amen. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice In hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Did he say what I think he just said? I think he did. Let's read it again. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. How can we glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance? Perseverance, character. Character, hope. Verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Who was given to us. Amen. We can just go into the invitation right now. But we're not going to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father. God we give you praise. Lord we praise you in this place tonight. That Lord while. 
nothing in us sought you, you pursued us. That while we were yet sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins, you loved us in spite of us. And you provided your only son. Lord, we are humbled by that truth. We are overwhelmed by that truth. And Lord, we pray that no matter what season of life, no matter what our circumstances may be, Lord, we pray that that joy, that joy will be apparent not only in our own lives, but to others. That when a lost world looks at us, they will see that it's not the up and downs of life that drive us, but it's the sustaining promises that are only found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that keeps us. And so, Lord, tonight we pray that through your word you will teach us. We pray, Lord, that you will, Lord, search our hearts. Lord, we pray if there's one here tonight who has never responded to your love, to your grace, to your mercy, who has never responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, we pray that tonight would be the night that they would make the most important decision and surrender their heart to you. Lord, as believers tonight, we pray that you would search our own lives. Lord, reveal to us anything in our hearts, anything in our lives that we've put in a place where only Christ should be. And so, Lord, tonight, May you be glorified in all that is said and all that is done. We pray it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's scary, by the way, the things I do that in the middle of a message I will go, that was my father. Like in the middle of a message I will do some, you ever seen my dad do his little rocking deal? You ever seen that? (laughs) While the music is playing, he does his little rocking deal. One day I'll have glasses And one day I'll be able to pull those glasses down and look real smart as you make a point in your sermon. It's it's scary. And now that we have a child, it's even more scary. There are things that I will say and that Amber will say and I will go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was mom and dad right there. And payback is a very real thing. This is this is all bonus material. All right. Let me just give you payback is a real thing. Can I get an amen? And, and what's the deal with grandparents approaching grandchildren a little bit different than you approach your own kids? They get on to me for disciplining our son for the same things they, they used to discipline me in. They will say, Heath, I'll oh, just leave him alone. What? No. You would drag me up the middle of this aisle, which you did a couple of times. I'm sorry. That's not my message. Let's keep going. All right. Let's talk about this unconditional joy. What are the truths? What are the big rocks in our lives that cannot change in the Lord Jesus Christ? What are the things that are not dependent upon our circumstances, that are not dependent upon what's happening in our lives that keeps us with this unconditional joy? Well, Paul lists these things in just these first verse, first five verses of Scripture. Look at what he says in verse 1. He first of all speaks about our peace. He says, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just allow that truth for a moment to sink in. Because when that truth really begins to sink into our hearts and lives, it leads to joy to know that we have been justified before a holy and righteous God. To know that in Christ, I stand covered in the blood of Jesus. To know that the Bible teaches that when we enter into this world, we enter into this world in Adam. We enter into this world in our sins. The Bible tells us we are separated from a holy God. The Bible goes beyond that. The Bible says because of our sins, we are literally a, an enemy of God. But Paul makes it clear right up front. He says, understand, in Christ you are justified 
before a holy God. In Christ, you have peace with the Heavenly Father. We are justified by faith. What an amazing thing to know that when we stand before our Creator, and every single one of us will one day stand before our Creator, to know that when God looks upon me, He's not going to see my sins, my failures, my flaws. And there's plenty of them. But rather, He's going to look upon me and see the righteousness, the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about joy. You talk about freedom. Now, we live in a world today that if we were to ask them, hey, do you realize that because of your sins, you're an enemy of God? Many people would say, no, I don't have anything against God. A lot of people would consider themselves neutral to God. Well, I'm not religious, but I don't have anything against God. I don't have anything against his word. But the Bible tells us because of our sins, we stand in judgment of almighty God. But we are justified by our faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that Paul speaks of is this peace. He says peace with, peace with God comes only by the grace of God. And the grace of God brings justification. And therefore justification leads to great joy. To know that we stand clean before a holy God. Doesn't matter what happens in my life tonight, tomorrow, next week. Doesn't matter what kind of tragedy. Doesn't matter what the world throws my way. It doesn't matter what the enemy throws my way. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I stand in peace with Almighty God. I've been justified by faith. You know, that word justification is a legal term. When the Bible says righteousness is reckoned to us, the word reckon is a bookkeeping term. It means to count on something that is completed. What is Paul saying? He says, when Jesus took our sins and placed them upon his shoulders, he wrote wrote across those sins, paid in full, complete. It's over with. It's the finished work of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about how Paul describes it in Colossians. Look at this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, he says this. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. Whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through what? The blood of his cross. And you, me, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. Now listen to verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. Can I get an amen? Amen. The Bible says when that happens, we're made new, we're made clean, we are justified in Christ. Which then results in being one of the unwavering foundations of our joy. Again, you think about how unbelievable that is. That through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand at peace with God. No longer an enemy of God, but now a child of God. An heir, joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's humbling. It's overwhelming. When you begin to look at your life, you begin to reflect upon your sins... You begin to reflect upon your shortcomings and all the ways that you've failed the the Lord over the years. And yet to know through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand before Almighty God, holy, blameless, above reproach. The direct result of that is unconditional joy. And so the Bible makes it clear here, man, if cleansing and justification leads to joy, then what can rob a believer of their joy. And we know the answer to that question. The answer to that question is what? Sin. 
You, know, you see the story of David. You go to Psalm 51. That's why he praised the prayer in Psalm 51, 12. What does he say? Restore unto me what? The joy of my salvation. Why was he praying that? He was praying that because there was sin. There was unconfessed sin in his life. And rather than being repentant of that, he continued to try to cover it. He continued to try to run from it. And so then he falls on his face before the Lord and says, Lord, restore unto me once again the joy of my salvation. I mean, that's an amazing thing to see this in the life of believers. I've had the great privilege of seeing this as a pastor. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Many of you are experiencing right now as I speak. To see someone in a circumstance that it makes no sense at all that there should be joy in their life. You see what they're going through. You see what they're dealing with. Whether it's the tragic loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a loved one who has walked out upon them. Again, maybe it's a a doctor's report. But yet in that moment, there's still overwhelming joy. How do you explain that? You explain that through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us, man, we have peace with God, justified by our faith in Christ and Christ alone, at least unconditional joy. Now notice what he says in verse 2. He speaks of our peace, but now he speaks of our hope. He says, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's amazing here. The word hope basically means confidence that is based upon God's word. So that leads us to ask that question. Why should we as believers have This type of confidence, because we know that we serve a God who is sovereign. We serve a God who does not make mistakes. Whether we understand it or not, we know, Romans 8, 28, that all things work together to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We recognize the words of Isaiah. His ways are not always our ways. His thoughts are not always our thoughts. How easy it is as we look at our lives sometimes and wonder, Lord, are you sure? You know, many of us in this place, I believe every one of us at some point in time in your journey and your walk with the Lord have asked that question, why? But Paul says, rest assured, you can have joy knowing that God is never late. God is never early. God's timing is always perfect. And whether we understand it or not, we know that all things are working. All things are working. The good, the bad, the struggles. We know that God is in control of it all. Man, we look at the world that we live in and it's chaos. What gives us joy? What gives us peace? To know that we serve a God who is still sitting upon his throne. Paul says that's joy. Not only peace with God, but the hope, confidence in God's word. To know that these are promises that cannot be broken. God would cease being God if these promises were broken. I think about what Paul says in Romans 12, 12. He says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. To know that no matter what happens to us, that our God is greater and that he has a plan for all things. That's our hope. Our hope is that his power saves us and his power sustains us. Look at what he says here. Notice again, verse 2. Let's go back to that and look at what he says. He says, through whom also we have access by faith. Now look at how he finishes this. Into the grace in which we stand. I love this. The word stand carries the idea of permanence. It communicates something that is immovable. Although faith is necessary for salvation, the Bible teaches us it's God's grace that is the power to keep us. We're not saved by God's grace and then kept by human effort. We're saved by God's grace and we're kept By God's grace. And the Bible teaches that there's nothing this world can do, this enemy enemy can do, to snatch us out of the hand of Almighty God. 
Man, there's joy in that. There's joy in that. Whether you understand the circumstances of your life or not, you rest in the peace of knowing that you serve a God that cannot, will not make mistakes. And so therefore, what does it do? It sustains you in that moment. To know that whether I know what God is doing through this, I know he's in control. And I know the promise of scripture that he's working all things. Nothing is outside of the work of God. Everything he allows to happen in our lives is to sanctify us, to grow us, to deepen us, ultimately to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in the middle of verse 2. He says, through whom also we have access. Now allow this to sink in. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You want to talk about joy to know that we come into the very presence of Almighty God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews explains it this way. He says in verse chapter 4, verse 16, Let us therefore come what? Let us come boldly. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Take your Bibles and turn one page over, if you would. Let's go to Romans 8. Listen to this promise. I didn't even have a Red Bull tonight, and I'm worked up. All right, let's get going here. Romans 8. The great 8, right? Romans chapter 8. Let's begin reading in verse 31. I pray this is an encouragement to wherever you may be tonight. Verse 31 says this. What then shall we say to these things? Say it with me. Say it with me, church. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Notice what he says. As I lost my place, there we go. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for your sake? We are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, verse 37, yet, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. Super conquerors. Through him who loved us. You ready for this? You want some joy tonight? Verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I tell you what, Dr. Luter's not here yet. But that's a hanky-waving verse. (laughs) My goodness. And I don't know where you're at tonight. And I don't know what it is the enemy is using to discourage you, but I pray tonight that your eyes would be lifted to the heavens to understand some truths that cannot be broken, that are found in Christ and Christ alone, no matter what this world throws at us. No matter what the enemy lies to us about. These are promises that keep us. That sustain us. And Paul says, may this unconditional joy be directly linked. Number one, knowing that you are at peace with God. Justified by faith through the blood of Christ. But also your hope. Your hope of knowing that you have access by faith into the very presence of Almighty God. But I want you to finally see this final promise. Verses 3 through 5. 
Listen to what he says, and I pray this is an encouragement to you tonight. He says, and not only that, but we also glory, we also rejoice in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit? Amen. It's amazing here. When you look at this passage of scripture, the word tribulations literally means under pressure. It was used to describe the squeezing of olives in a press in order to extract the oil. And so Paul says, even in the midst of tribulations, even when you feel pressed, even when you feel the walls caving in around us, have hope, have hope, have hope, knowing that our God is faithful to complete the work that he's begun in you. Knowing that even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of tribulation, guess what? The purpose of God is being accomplished in our lives. Knowing that even in my struggles, even in my pain, that if I'm continuing to seek the Lord and be obedient to the Lord and faithful to the Lord, that there's a work that God wants to accomplish through that. Verses 3 through 5 is basically a, a, a synopsis of Christian maturity. The word perseverance is often translated patience. And so it carries the idea of endurance. It carries the idea of the ability to continue moving forward. The ability to continue pursuing the Lord. The ability to continue to say, Lord, I live for you. I praise you. Even in the middle of my storm, I am going to seek your face because I don't want to miss what it is you're trying to accomplish in my heart. I don't want to miss what it is you're trying to do to make me more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this perseverance produces character. The word character literally means proof. This word was used of of testing precious metals such as silver and gold to demonstrate their purity. And so you see what Paul is saying here. He says when a believer experiences tribulations that require and demand perseverance, their perseverance then in return produces character, which then points us back to our hope. And we know what he says about that hope. Verse 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The words of James chapter one, verse 12 says this. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised for those who love him. Allow this truth to sink in. Romans chapter eight, verse 18. The words of Paul, he says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, are not even compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Can I get an amen? An unconditional joy. It's not found in our circumstances. It's not found in possessions. It's not found even first and foremost in our own families. The Bible tells us this joy that will not let you down, this joy that will sustain you no matter what season you're in, whether you're going into a storm, in a storm, or coming out of a storm, this joy is only found in a person. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in John 15, 11, the words of Jesus, These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy may remain, and that my joy may be full. And we see people all over this world trying to find fulfillment, trying to find peace. But Scripture makes it very clear 
that you can't experience the peace of God unless you're at peace with God. And the only way to be at peace with God is in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what an amazing truth as the church, as believers, to say, Lord, even in my struggles, even in my questions, I want to continue to faithfully serve you, to seek you. And Lord, may your joy remain and may your joy be full. And when others ask and wonder how in the world in the state that you're in and in the struggles that you're going through, still be joyful. May I be quick. May I be quick. May I be quick to give a response to the hope that lies within me. My joy is not found in my circumstances. My joy is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. My circumstances may change, but Christ will never change. He says this is where our peace is found. Our hope is found. It's where these promises are found. And the bottom line is this. Anything else in our lives that we set above the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. It lets you down. There's so many that could come up here and share testimony of that very same thing, of something that they placed in their heart that was their greatest pursuit, their greatest passion above Christ. And the Lord has a way of removing those things. I know He did in my own life to show us that the one thing that will never fail, the one thing that will never let us down is the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 6.33, you know the passage. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and then all these things shall be added unto you. I ask you tonight, first and foremost, do you have the joy of the Lord? And the only response to that is, do you know Christ? I wonder if you may be here tonight and you've never truly given your heart and life to Jesus. The things of this world will continue to fade away. It's like drinking salt water. It quenches the thirst for a little while, but you know what happens? It leaves a bigger hole when it leaves. There's only one thing that fills that void. And that's our relationship with Christ. To the believers tonight, I ask you the question, can you honestly say where you're sitting that above everything else in your life, your number one priority is your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? I wonder how many of you may be here tonight in the middle of a storm. And I ask you, can you still praise Him? Even in the questions that are before you, Can we still be found faithful? Because we know that we serve a God who is always faithful. Amen? With every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to enter into this time of invitation. And obviously, it begins with a response to Christ. And so I wonder again, if there's one here tonight has never truly had a heart change, that has never truly surrendered themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the finished work of Christ upon the cross of Calvary. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we recognize we're sinners by nature, by choice. But 
Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's not about a religion. It's not about religious activity. It's a relationship with the one who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and took our place, took our sins, laid them upon his shoulders, and stretched his arms out upon that cross. It begins there. Begins with turning from your sins, repenting of your sins, and calling upon the one name by which we are saved, the name of Jesus. I wonder how many believers tonight would say that even in the midst of my struggles, I have joy because Christ has his proper place in my heart. I wonder how many here tonight would not be able to say that. That Maybe somewhere along the way, something else, whether it was sin or something else, made its way into a place where only Jesus should be. And so maybe tonight in this invitation, you just want to come before the Lord and pray the prayer of David. Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation that's not dependent upon what will happen tomorrow or next week or next year. Restore unto me the joy that comes from Christ and Christ alone. And Lord, even in my questions, even in my struggles, may I be found faithful. May I be found obedient recognizing that you use all things for your glory, for my good. So wherever you may be tonight, man, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom in this place and would truly search our hearts as we lay ourselves before the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are humbled by your love for us. Lord, we're humbled that and our sins, our trespasses, that you loved us in spite of us. And it wasn't just a spoken love, it was a love in action. You gave us your only son. And so Jesus, we give you praise tonight, Lord. We lift up your name. We thank you, Lord, that you stepped out of heaven to enter into a sin-cursed world as a servant so that you would be our savior. Lord, may we never lose sight of that with all the things that happen in our lives and all the things that come with that. May we never lose sight of your great love for us and what you've done to purchase us through the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's one here tonight who has never responded initially to your grace, to your mercy, to your love, Lord, we pray that you would do a work that only you can do in an individual's heart. Lord, as believers tonight, we pray that you would search us, search our lives. Lord, reveal to us anything, any sin, anything that we've allowed in to take a place where only you should be. Lord, our prayers that through it all, we would be found faithful. That through it all, we would be found faithful. You be glorified in our lives and in the testimony of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.